know that you won't believe it, but I am a grandfather, and um, <clears throat> and I'm married to the most unbelievable granny. We have four grandkids, and I'm learning so much through my grandkids. In fact, I'm learning way more through my grandkids than I did through my kids, and um, having way more fun. In fact, a friend of mine said, Craig, if I had known that grandkids were so good, I would have had them first. <clears throat> How many are with me on that, grandparents? <laughs> Amazing, aren't they? And so I'm just having this most unbelievable fun with them. And my oldest grandkid, uh, a daughter, she's three years old. And uh, so we're having this thing. And I, I'm trying to tell you that she's beautiful. Because I believe she's beautiful and I want her to know that she's beautiful. And I'm saying, Bailey, you're beautiful. And, and then one day she just comes back and she says, no, I'm normal. I go, no, baby, you're beautiful. She says, no, I'm normal. And so now there's this game every time. Bailey, you're beautiful. No, I'm normal. And I'm going like, and then, so I was phoning Andy the other day on the phone, and she puts Bailey on the phone. And so now I know she's there, and I go, Bailey, you're beautiful. And I hear, no, I'm normal. <laughs> and it's just like this innocence and this beauty. And, and yet, I love the humility of a child, isn't it? And as we have encountered this incredible relationship with kids, and, and we've got now four, and the two oldest are six weeks apart, but their milestones are very far apart. Bailey's talking hind leg of a donkey, and Ben is going, yup. <laughs> yup. Yup. And so we, we, there's these massive gaps in the milestones within our grandkids. But it was... It was God using this to help me understand that there are times that there's big gaps between the milestones within my own spiritual journey and my own spiritual walk with God and with others. And as we deal with uh, one another and as we journey together as a church and the diversity of God's beautiful bride here on earth is that we find ourselves in all different stages in life. And, and we as the shepherds of the flock of God have to help us all along and get everyone uh, into a state and place of maturity. I've been tracking Jesus through the Gospels and um, seeing how the chronological journey of all four Gospels try and come into one. And in doing that, I've noted some things as how Jesus had this Difficulty of dealing with his disciples and his followers when they were at different milestones. You know, some were a little bit, you know, right up front and talking and going, you know, Bailey, you're beautiful, or yup. And, and Jesus was having to, to kind of grapple with this variation of, of his disciples and followers. And, and, and one day, he was on the side of the mountain, and he was teaching, and it was, it was glorious, and there were 5,000 men, probably women and children, over 10, 12,000 people, some even say up to 20,000 people. And they ran out of food, and, and then Jesus did this amazing miracle. A little boy had some bread and fish, and, and he broke that, and he multiplied it in the hands of the disciples. And all these people were fed. And they were fed so much that there was even left over. 
And then what happens is, is um, Jesus sends the disciples across the lake, and he's saying, guys, I'm, I'm coming. And, and, and then he, he, he goes up the mountain to pray. And these disciples have to now make a journey by themselves. See, he's always been with them. But now he decides, you know what, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to, he is, as a discipler, Jesus, this one who is teacher, rabbi, uh, lord, uh, master, as they would call him. And, and he is discipling these followers. And he says, all right, guys, you're going to cross the lake by yourself. And they go, we're fishermen, we're adults, we can do this. And away they go. And, of course, a massive storm just hits this lake. And they're being tossed to and fro. And the next thing, Jesus comes walking on the water. And we know the story. If you've been in church in any while, you probably, in Sunday school, you would have had the story at least. With Jesus walking on the water, disciples are terrified in the boat. And, of course, we know in some of the Gospels, the story is told of how Peter gets out the boat. He says, Lord, can I come? And he says, come. And he starts walking on the water, and then he starts sinking. And, and it's into this moment, into this time, Jesus is teaching his disciples, and each one is at a different level. Peter's learning how to walk on water. Thomas is hiding in the back of the boat going, I doubt I'm even going to make the other side of the shore. And everyone is at a different level, at a different place in their journey with God. And we're going to pick up that story in John chapter 6. And so if we can turn to John chapter 6, um, I think it will come up on the, on the, on the screens. And uh, i tell you what I'm going to do is, is I'm going to ask that I, I've been listening to your preaching over the last couple of weeks. And I've heard that you've been in Nehemiah and you've been hearing about how the children of Israel, um, as they've returned and the word of God began to get, was read that they all stood and they stood for a whole day. And, and you've been hearing about that. And so I thought, I'm now going to ask you to put your faith. <laughs> so for the rest of the meeting, we are going to stand and hear. No, no. What I'll ask you is that while I read the word of God, that we stand in honor of the word. That we read it together. I don't know if you do that here. Uh, I don't do it all the time, but I think that today is worth it. If you've got your Bible, that you'd have it. Otherwise, it's going to be up on the screens uh, behind me. And we're going to go from um, John chapter 6. And, and we're going to um, just look at the, the last verse of 21. Probably is not going to be there, but it says, And they were glad. Uh, this is... At the back end, yeah, 21, at the back end of them getting into the boat, Jesus gets in the boat, and they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately, say immediately, immediately. the boat was at the land to which they were going. Wow. You know, in that cartoon network where the boat goes, shh, you know, on the water. Yeah, you got an imagination? Remember, I'm in, or you're in? All right, so you got your imagination in. All right, how would you imagine this little thing taking place as a boat is immediately at the shore? How many of you would like that kind of transport, you know? <laughs> We're going to go to Durban. Shh, I'm there. All right? Or wherever it is. So there is it. I want to tell you that I feel like there's people here this morning that have been battling all night in a storm. And when God gets in your boat, when you take Jesus into your boat immediately, you'll be where you need to be. You won't be maybe where you want to be, but you'll be where Jesus wants you to be. See, they were immediately 
at the land to which they were going. Now, sometimes we are going to the wrong place and then God sends a storm so that he can get us to the right place. And there's someone here in a storm and you battling to get to a place that God doesn't want you to be at. And, and let him in your boat and you'll get to the place that he wants you to be at. All right? So there we go. Um, then on the next day, verse 22, the crowd remained on the other side of the sea and saw that there had been only one boat there, and Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they would eaten bread after the Lord had given thanks. And so when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they gave, got themselves into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, hey, when did you get here? It was like... He had supernatural transport. And Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your full of the loaves. You see, I think that many times that we are looking for a sign from heaven in a pseudo kind of way to cover up actually a deeper need that, or that we think we have or don't even know we have. There is a, something Jesus is telling and talking, and I'll get to it, is that there is a deeper need in each one of us. And yet we try and satisfy it with an external uh, something. And so they were looking for an external sign when they were actually in deep hunger. And then he said, um, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which is the Son of Man will give to you. For, for on him God the Father has set his seal. And then they said to him, Hey, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in me whom he sent. And so they said to him, Then what sign, you see they're still on the external, do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. They saw that as a sign, and they wanted a sign. And what they had experienced yesterday in the filling of their bellies, they wanted another sign. They wanted another external something to fulfill a deep spiritual need. And then he said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it is not Moses who gave you the bread of heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, sir, give us this bread always. And then Jesus said to them, let's say this together, come on. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Father, we're asking that your word this morning would satisfy a deep hunger in each one of us. That we would not be a people that would seek external signs, but that we would be followers of Jesus that are satisfied with the spiritual food that heaven gives every day. That we would never be hungry again, never thirsty but that we would be doing the works of God for your glory and honor. In Jesus' name I ask it. Amen. Amen. All right, you can sit down. Now, there's so much I want to say and so much to do, but I, 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 I'm going to tend to give you more seed than I'm going to give you food. 
all right? There are times where as pastors or teachers and as ministers or preachers that we can give a food, but my intent this morning is to give more seed or to give you more questions, to give you more stuff that you've got to go and actually do. Today, we're in a supermarket. We're not in a restaurant, okay? Because so oftentimes we treat church like a restaurant, Come, serve it up, Bessie, preach it. If it's not pretty good, I'm going to leave my report card, two out of five or whatever it may be. We're going to rate it with a star. I'm only going to give you three stars, Bessie. You can do better than that. All right? I know you don't do that in this church, um, but here we do, is that we have to rid ourselves of this mentality and temperament of serve it up, give it to me, but more, inspire me, give me more seed. This is a supermarket, not a restaurant. Now, to some here this morning, if you uh, maybe are here and you are far from God, you, you, you not, don't know and not a follower of Jesus Christ, you've been dragged here by, by somebody, maybe you've walked in, maybe there's a desperate need in you that you're looking to fill, I want to tell you today, for you, it's a restaurant. This is the, 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 the word of God will come to you and satisfy you eternally. And maybe you have a hunger and a thirst and a desire. And, and Jesus said at the great uh, message on the mountain when he preached the Sermon on the Mount, he said, blessed are you if you're hungry and thirsty because he says you will be filled. He says, I'll fill you. And so the thirst and the desire for God will be filled this morning and it'll be filled by the bread of life. But for most and many of us this morning, as we journey through life as followers of Jesus, He is not here just to feed us and satisfy our external needs. What Jesus is trying to teach them here is that man has a deep, or man's greatest need is not physical but spiritual. Our deepest need is not physical but spiritual. And you see, when we try, and the, the problem comes in, is that we try and satisfy a spiritual need with a physical substance, whatever that may be. And it can be just even good stuff like food, and then we know the consequences of that. But then we go further than that, and we try and satisfy a deep, deep hunger for God, and we satisfy it with all sorts of things. And the one thing we have to realize and understand is that is God is spirit and he wants to feed us in our spirit. It's spirit to spirit. Of course, what Jesus was talking about here when he said, and he was, they actually brought it up. They said to, you know, uh, Jesus, our father Moses, you know, because quickly let's, he said, when we were in the wilderness, the children of Israel were in the wilderness, he said, God fed them with manna. Now, to quickly put it in a context, because maybe you have no clue uh, of the history of Israel and what happened, is that God called a man called Abraham, and he wanted to make a great nation out of him. And he took him from a far country in the Arab world of today, and uh, he got him to traverse across uh, months and months, in fact, it took some years, but he got into the land that God had promised him. God gave him a promised land. And this land, let's, let's, let's make it over here. Okay, you guys are in the promised land, all right? Are you ready? Okay. And, and, and what he does, he said, I'm going to take you guys right from across here. You're the Abrahamites. He says, I've got a land for you. 
and it's a promised land. And this land is flowing with milk and honey, and it's an amazing land, and I've prepared it, and it's ready for you. And I want to take you, and I want to give you that promised land. But Abraham says, but I'm only one, and I don't have a son. And he says, don't worry. He says, I'm going to make your seed like the stars of the sky. And God starts with one. And it's, it's tough, and, and we know the story. If you read it through Genesis, and then Abraham eventually has a son, and then he, the son has some sons, and then the sons have sons. And, and of course, it's not long in this process where the sons of Abraham begin to become a nation. Jacob and his 12 sons, and they formed the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel today has its roots, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Jacob has sons, and those 12 sons become the nation. But a great famine arose in the world, and, and of course, this famine drove them to go back to an Egypt, back into a, a, a situation that they were enslaved, and they became slaves in the nation of Egypt for 400 years. And then God raised up a savior, a Moses, who was a type of Jesus Christ. As we read the story, is that Moses is a type of Jesus. And he raised up Moses to go and get these people that have been in slavery. He says, I've got a promised land for you. I want to take you right across here. And I want to give you this promised land. You now you know why I wore sneakers this morning. All right? And so through great turmoil, and we know the ten plagues came. You start reading Exodus, you see the plagues and ten plagues. And eventually Pharaoh lost his firstborn son. And that night of the Passover, when they were released out of the nation uh, and the slavery of Egypt, they came through a Passover where a lamb had been killed and their doorposts had been marked with the blood of the lamb because it was signifying the sacrifice of a lamb that would be slain one day. It was a type and a figure of Jesus Christ. And so they came out of Egypt being ransomed, being redeemed, being uh, coming under the Passover of 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 God into a new land and a wilderness. And so these millions of people left. Do you want to come across to that side? You know, no, okay, I'm joking. But they left. Millions of them came out and they went across and they were heading for the promised land. Woo! Come on, do a Mexican wave there. There we go. Brilliant, brilliant. All right. And now, in this journey as they came out, there were certain heartaches. and Can you imagine um, upwards, they believe, between one and two million people. Even let's just call it a million people. Where would you get all the water needed for a million people? Where, I mean, when the pipes break in Bulaway, we don't have water. Um, what about food for a million people? Now, you can carry so much, but then after a couple of weeks, uh, the food runs out. And so these people that had, had come out of Egypt, being set free from slavery, they were headed for the promised land, and they get into this wilderness, and it's really hard. And, and things begin to become difficult, and they begin to grumble, and then God says, okay, what I'm going to do is I'm going to feed you. Exodus chapter 16. Quickly, let's turn there. I'll finish at 3 o'clock, Vez. So Exodus 16, we see the story. Excuse. 
In verse 1, it says, And they set out from Elam, and the whole congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin. That's not that they were sinning, it's just the name that they had, okay? Which is between Elam and Sinai. But I want to tell you is that oftentimes it's when we are between places that it becomes the most difficult. We leave one place and we head it to another, and it's in, those most, in the middle of that that we are most vulnerable. And some of you may have left a certain place in pursuit of and going towards the promises of God. And it's in that in-between place, that's where we are tested. And we're not tested to fail, we're tested to prove. We're going to see that. And I want to encourage you this morning. And if you feel like you're in between or stuck in the middle, we have a word of God for you. It says, on the 15th day in the second month. They weren't only in between places, they were in the middle of something. In the middle of the month. How many of you are in the middle of the month right now? I know it's the end of the month, but you're in the middle of the month with your finances. Anybody? Who, who loves the middle of the month financially? No, we all love the end of the month, don't we? You know? But you're in the middle of the month, or you're in the middle of turmoil. And I want to say is that God has a word for you this morning. And, and this is not what to do, because he says the whole congregation of Israel grumbled. And this is not a moment to grumble. This is a moment to gain faith and fortitude, and get a word from the Lord, and I trust that it will be helpful to you. And it says, in, uh, let's go then, verse 4, it says, The Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven on you. How many of you need some bread from heaven to be rained upon you? Hey? Bread from heaven upon you. And the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them what they will whether they will walk in the law or not. Now, when you read that, they may test them. The problem is we look at this scripture from the point of view of a Western mindset or an educational mindset that you go and do tests at the end of the year and you either pass or fail. Remember, at this time, they never had Selborne High School. They didn't have Harare University. They didn't have an academic curriculum that you could pass or fail this was not God's understanding when you read this please do not see test as I'm going to you see he said there um, whether they will walk in my law or not in many other places and we'll get to a scripture where it says that God says I want to test you to see what's in your heart now, why would God test to see what's in our heart? You can talk. Do you talk in this church or is it very quiet? There's only one person talk and everyone else shut it up. All right, I'm going to release your tongues now. All right, go like this. All right, in the name of Jesus, may your tongues be loosed. All right, yes. Why would, I, why would God want to see what's in my heart? To see if I'm faithful. Okay, anybody else? To grow our faith. You guys are way too spiritual. I got to ask a question is, if God knows everything, do you believe that? Then he doesn't need to know what's in my heart. He already knows what's in my heart. Who needs to know what's in my heart? Me. Me. How gracious is God. 
That he's not asking us to, to, to pass a test, but he's asking, he's saying, if you would allow me, I'll reveal what's in your heart. Because what's in your heart is going to stop you from getting into the promised land. He says, oh, no, God, yeah. we get into grumbling and complaining. And God's not about that. He's, he's so gracious that he'll even still give us food so that he can still feed us, to keep us alive so that he can get us to the promised land. You know that God's more desperate to get to the promised land than you are? You see, I need to know what's in my heart because when I know it's in my heart, I can get rid of it so that I can get God more in my heart. Okay, it's not about, you know what, it's not about getting more of God. How many times, God, I want more of you. And he's going, look, you've got all of me. I mean, how much more do you want of me? He says, I want more of you. Lord, I want more of your spirit. He said, no, no, just give. I need to give more of myself to the spirit. Okay, you got it? All right, so uh, let's go over. Time over. And he says, um, that you may see my glory. Do you know, how many of you want to see the glory of God? I do. Isn't you? It's like, I want to see the glory of God. Well, there's some simple things, and sometimes it doesn't come. None of this is about pray all night, and it's good to pray all night if you want to. I mean, I'm not, you know, and it's not, there's a certain way to see the glory of God. And the glory of God, we want to see glory God like, like uh, Steven Spielberg, uh, Hollywood, you know. And God says, I'll just give you some food, and you'll see my glory. You see, sometimes we're running away looking for food. We're looking for the glory of God. And he says, hey, it's right here. You just, just open it. The cupboard is full. This is a restaurant. Or is this a supermarket? So it's just, here it is. It's right here. I just got to go and dig here. And I'll get, and the glory of God will come. And you see, if, I believe that if we started getting the glory of God in our, from our food, we'll get the glory of God when he comes here on a Sunday morning. And we won't be able to get in here. We get it back to front. God, let the power of God hit this place. He says, like, bring the glory of God in Jesus' name. And he says, just read your Bible and you'll get glory. <laughs> Verse 13, it says, and in the evening quail came up and covered the camp. And in the morning dew, say dew, lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, what is dew a picture of? In the Bible, sorry, say it loud, the Spirit, Holy Spirit, there's a picture, Holy Spirit, the dew is a picture of the Holy Spirit, I want to tell you that food comes by the power of the Holy Spirit, He brings and delivers the food daily, so then He goes and He says, uh, and says when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground, and when the people of Israel saw it, they said to another, what is it? Just like that. Wow. Actually, they said, manna, manna, like the hardy dogs. The man hardy dogs, every time, you don't have hardy dogs here. Uh, how many of you know what a hardy dog is? All right. And when the people of Israel saw it, they said to one, what is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, it is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. Oftentimes, when God gives us bread and food, we don't even know that it's food. You have to be taught that this is food. Now, I want to tell you that manna is transitional food. 
Manna is not what God has destined for us, because let's look here. He's taken us out of Egypt, taken us through a wilderness, preparing us. This is the gap, okay? There's a gap between our current circumstances and our future hopes and dreams. There's always a gap, all right? And it's in this gap that God is preparing us, and God is doing more in the gap than we can imagine. And it's in the gap that He gives us transitional food. It's food just for the gap. All right? Why? Because they were walking through a wilderness. They couldn't plant and they couldn't not harvest. So what did God give them? He gave them a pillar of fire at night and a cloud by day. He gave them the Holy Spirit. He gave them Himself and He protected them. The presence of God was with them all the way. So when we are going from Egypt and into our promises, we have a cloud and we have a pillar of fire. What else do we have? We have manna. Isn't that good? It's transitional food. What did they do? Well, it says they would just go out in the morning. They'd get out of their tent. They'd walk out the first morning. They all got out their tent. Oh, what is it? And everyone started going, what is it? So let's all go. Everyone starts saying, what is it? 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 Listen, that's the best question you can ask. When you're reading through the Bible, you say, what is it? Why? Because that's what's going on. It was, what is it? And uh, manna means, what is it? So the manna in the wilderness just became known as, what is it? Hey, what are you eating for lunch today? Are you getting it? What are you eating for dinner tonight? But remember, it's transitional food. Why is it transitional food? Well, it came by the dew of heaven, and it landed on the ground, and you gathered it every day for today. Tomorrow, you had to go and get more and more. You see, here's the deal. When we get saved, born again, when we come out of slavery and, and we're no longer owned by the enemy of heaven, we come through the redeeming power of Jesus Christ. His blood and his righteousness set me free and I come into a relationship with Jesus in that moment I'm carried and his grace and his favor and his love and his eyes upon us and the presence of God is upon us. and I just cast yourself back to those moments when you first got born again and remember you woke up in the morning you opened your Bible and you went what is it and it was like whoa I never knew that and you would have told everybody, woo, you know, and then it was finished. Because the next morning you woke up and you did the same. What is it? Wow, God is good. Do you know that God is good? Were you not like that? Were you a bunch of grumbling, miserable, born-again people? Come on. No. You're like, can you imagine, remember that? And we had the presence of God. And somebody walked in and said, I'm feeling sick. In the name of Jesus. They're like, well, I'm healed. You got healed? I can heal. Remember that? It was like amazing. It was like, whoa, the grace of God was, was just everywhere. And it was like, woo, woo. You know, like, I can do anything. And then one day you woke up and what happened? Like you read the Bible. And it wasn't, wasn't it anymore. It was, where is it? 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 Have you ever been there? 
Here we go. God, are you there? There, there. Whatever happened? I wonder if maybe he actually landed up in the promised land. And the transitional food stopped. And the presence of God visibly stopped. It's still there. But now you had to plant and reap and fight and protect and gain cities. And you see, here's it. You know what I find is, how many of you want to live in the land of miracles? You want to live in the land of miracles? Come on. You want to live in the land of miracles? I've sold you down. Because this is the land of miracles. But this, here, is a miraculous land. You see, this produces miracles. And the problem is, as Christians, oh, we want to live in a miracle land, land of miracles. Oh, glory, God, give us miracles. And God says, man, that's transitional. It's, I, I want to get you from slavery to promises, and in between you can live in a land of miracles. But I want you to be a miraculous land. I want you to produce How many of you want to live in the land of miracles? Not anymore. <laughs> How many of you want to be in a miraculous land? Yeah. Let's go to Deuteronomy quickly. Deuteronomy 8. This is Moses when he's got to the end. You see, the, the sad tale of the Israelites is what happened is they came out of Egypt and God said that it was going to be about a year that He wanted to reveal Himself to them. He wanted to take the slavery out of the slaves. He wanted to make them sons so that He could put them into His promised land that He had so destined them to be. But what happened is they grumbled, they moaned, and they got so used to the manner and the quails that God left them there for 40 years. And all of those. You know what? Here's the thing. Is there some people here that have been for years following God, but you're trying to live in a promised land with a wilderness mindset. And you'll never live in the fullness of God. And still you start to live in the fullness of his ways. And God's happy. He's not happy. God will allow you to stay in this land. And you may even die here. When I say die here, I mean the end of your life would come. And you're still in the wilderness. And never, ever enter the promises that God has for you. And you know what? He's gracious enough. He'll give you miracles. And he'll feed you with manna. And he'll give you quail. But his intention and his heart for you is to live in a promised land. In a land that is miraculous. And so when Moses gets to the end, he says this. And the whole commandment that I commanded you today, you shall carefully do that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that your Lord God swore to you. That's the purpose and plans of God. Do you know that? You say, oh, the plans and purpose of God for me, Jeremiah 29. Why? No, they're there. 
And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness that he may humble you. You see, the process of this wilderness, the reason he does it is to teach us to humble us so that we may honor God. You see, you read it, let's read it here together. He says, testing you. Again, please don't see that as testing. He says, testing you to know what is in your heart so that we know what's in our heart, whether we would keep his commandments or not. This whole thing is about obedience. And he humbled you and let you hunger and he fed you with manna that you did not know. Nor did your fathers know that he might make you know. So this is a reason. What did, Jesus, what did God do this for? He said, I did all of this so that you may know that man does not live by bread alone, but lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Friends, this is, this is the reason. This is, if you get this one thing this whole morning, I know I've been fun and I've jumped around, maybe you're kind of like, Messi, never bring that idiot back here. That's fine. But here's the deal. is God does all of this so that you would know that man does not live by bread, man does not live by physical needs alone, but lives by the very word that is God-breathed into your spirit, by the spirit, for your spirit. Man's greatest need is not physical but spiritual. And how do we feed our spirit? It is that man shall not live by the things just that we eat. And oh, I'm so glad that he's given us. I love food, don't you? Yeah. Now, but the thing is, is our deepest, greatest need is one of a spiritual need. And that only is fulfilled through a God-breathed word of God. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus is taken as the Savior to the world. He's come. He's about to start his ministry here on earth, Luke chapter 4. And the Spirit of God takes him into the wilderness. Here it is. He's in the wilderness. Wilderness is not a bad place, guys. In fact, the sooner you realize that wilderness is a good place, the quicker you will actually learn what God's trying to teach you in the wilderness. And so the wilderness is a place of strength. The wilderness is not a place of weakness. The wilderness is where we find our strength and courage. And so the Spirit of God draws him into this wilderness. And he fasts for 40 days. And at the end of 40 days, he's very hungry. And the devil comes to him and he says, listen, there's some rocks here. You can turn it into bread. I will satisfy your physical need now. You can just do it. And what does Jesus quote or what does Jesus do to counter the enemy's strategy? He quotes the word. What word does he quote? Help me here, all Bible-believing followers of Jesus. How, what does he quote? Deuteronomy 8. And he says to the devil, man shall not live by bread alone, but lives by the preceding rhema spoken word of God. Friends, can I ask you this question? Is what word are you living on right now? What word of God is sustaining you? Is it some crusty bread, some crusty piece that was, came from three months ago, six months ago, and you're still like nibbling on this? I've, I've just got to... 
or, or, or are, we, are we working to, to plant seed and to trust the God of the heavens to open the heavens? Because he said, when I honor him, he would open the heavens and the rains would come down. And so the rains would come down upon the soil and upon the seed that I've put in the soil. And then they will grow and I will protect and I will build orchards and I will, I will plan. And I'm, 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 getting, I'm getting a harvest here. And then I'm reaping and I'm honoring God with the first fruits. And then anybody is in need, let me give some, let me give some. Am I living from a, a day to day? manner existence am i living from crusty old word or am i living from the rhema word of god that is coming into my soul and i'm feeding deeply at the spoken word of god because when i'm in that man shall not live hey god wants us to live god wants us to have life and life more abundantly and 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 that comes life real life Starts with Jesus Christ. But then real life continues with the very word of God spoken deep into your spirit that brings life. And what does it do? It brings faith. And when faith comes, we begin to trust God for things that we, is impossible. Why? Because faith is the substance of things that I cannot see. And when I begin to, and I cannot get faith until I've got the word of God. And when I get the word of God, I can get faith. And then I can get the promises that he's given to me. Woo! How many of you are going to go and read your Bible now? You see, I could tell you to read your Bible, or I could try and inspire you to read your Bible. I could tell you to build a boat. And I could tell you, you guys sew the sail, you guys collect the wood, you guys make the mast, and you guys get some provisions. And I can tell you to do that, and you do it, and then you go like, who wants to go on the boat? And you go, oh, I can inspire you about the adventures across the sea. And if I told you more and more stories about what happens across the seas, I guarantee you, you'll go and build your own boat to sail the seas. And so this morning, all I've tried to do is go, hey, there's adventures across the sea. Now, go and read your Bible. Go and gather the word of God that you may get faith that his promises may come to existence. Let's bow our heads. I've said enough, God. Now I want you to say what you want to say. And we come, precious King, and we put our physical, our needs, our desires, those things which are competing right now for the deep spirit to spirit. We put those on hold and we put them aside and Right now, we make a conscious spirit decision. God, would you come and feed our spirit 
in amazing ways this next week, two, three, and four, that the life of this church would be forever different. The life of this nation would not be the same because you have filled us with your word. And this nation begins to live because of the word of God. This couple here, I don't know you, um, but since you walked in, I felt God speaking to me for you. And um, God took me in the worship to 1 Samuel 17, when David and Goliath, I don't know if you know that story of David and Goliath, and uh, David's going to go and fight this big Goliath, and he goes to Saul, and Saul wants to, puts his armor on him. And uh, Saul, uh, David says to Saul, he says, I can't use this because I've not tested it. I've, I've, it's not saying that it's too big for him. I think many of the, the, the Sunday school tales tell us that it wasn't fitting for him. He said, I haven't tested it. In other words, he's not used to it. And so he goes in what he's used to. He goes. In the God-given gift. God had made him a shepherd and God had made him a musician and a worshiper and I feel like man has tried to clone you and has tried to put their armor on you and has tried to make you into something that you're not and I feel like this morning that God wants to come and he's taken off the things that men have said I feel like that there could be parents there could be school masters. There's been people, there's been bosses that have said you can't and that you and that you are unable. And you know that deep inside you that God has given you a gift. And I feel like that there is so much more that God has for you, that this promised land that you know. You know what God has called you to. You know what He's put in your heart. He's made you different. I feel like there's a creative gift upon you that people have tried to, 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 to stop. Culture has come and said you can't be that. And that's not right. And I want to say that God says, you are loved. You are favored. God is getting a hold of you today. Father, I just thank you for this man. And I pray right now that your word would come and set him free. Come, Spirit of God. In Jesus. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.